If you have your Bibles, open them with me to the book of Matthew, the fourth chapter. Matthew chapter 4, and I am going to begin reading with verse number 1. And it reads like this. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. I want to talk to you this morning for a little while about the things he refused to do. The things he refused to do. And everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I suppose that all of us, when we open the Bible and read, we read what is there. We note what the author says and how he says it. And we take note of what is done and what happens. Seldom, seldom do we look at the word of God at what is omitted, what is not said, what is not done. When we think of the life of Jesus Christ, we think of most often the things that he did, the miracles that he performed, the lives that he changed, the great things that he brought into the families and the the men and women of that day. We are so enamored by the many and wonderful things that he did that we fail to see that there were times when he refused to do some things. There are times when he refused to say some things. The Gospels are charged with life. When you read the New Testament, you cannot read them without feeling the radiance of its love. And you cannot read the New Testament without feeling the richness and wealth of actions and deeds that were done. When you read the New Testament, you feel the instinct of the Spirit, God moving in mysterious and wonderful ways, calming the storm and breathing words of peace over troubled disciples. And we are so mastered by His story and we are so enamored by what He did that we hardly note what He did not do. We are inspired by what he said, but we very seldom ever think about what he refused to say. We love to preach about what Jesus did, but this morning I want us to look at what he refused to do. I want for a few moments for you to examine with me the things that Jesus would not do. There's a world of meaning in the silence. Of our Lord, and there are many royal lessons that can be learned by the refusals of Jesus Christ. The first one that I want you to note is in our text. 
His ministry that was to be rich in miracles and wonders. A ministry that was to be crowned with blind eyes open, deaf ears unstopped, lame being made to walk again, the dead even to come back to life. A life that was to be marked by the miracle of loaves and fishes and the providing of the food that was necessary to sustain a multitude. Miracle that could come into the lives of fishermen who had fished all night and caught no fish or that wonderful miracle of life that he would give back to a mother that was on her way to the cemetery to bury her son. All that he did, the miracles and the wonders, the irony of his story is it began with his refusal to do a miracle. It began with his refusal to do what was put before him. After his baptism and the wonderful anointing that came upon him, the Bible said that he was driven into the wilderness. And there in the wilderness he was tempted. And there in the wilderness he fasted and prayed for 40 days and nights. And when that time was finished and he was through with his prayer and fasting, the Bible said that he hungered. It was then that Satan came and the devil began to make his suggestions. And he simply suggests to him that you could cure your hunger by simply turning these stones into bread. Now, Jesus, who was going to do great and mighty things in his ministry, refused to work a miracle that would have been easily justified and could easily have been reasoned out. Being full of the power of God, it would have been a trifle for him to have turned stones into bread, and yet he refused to perform a miracle for his own use. He refused to perform a miracle that would have bettered his own situation. He refused to take power that was given to him for others and use it on himself. When I read that story, there is something that stirs within me because I understand that what he refused to do was play games with spiritual things. He refused to play games with spiritual things. It was not a trinket or a bauble to entertain himself with. It was not something to do to, to satisfy his own fancy. There was something about him. There was such reverence for the spiritual and for the supernatural that he refused to do a miracle that could have easily been justified because he had great respect for the things of the spirit. He was not going to play games with spiritual things. I am amazed today at the boldness of sin I am amazed at the trifles that we make of serious things. How many trifle with and play games with matters that are of eternal consequence as if it were the lottery. 
as if it were a game of chance. Men and women who willfully sin and then come and act as if there is no sin. In the very beginning of his ministry, he established a very simple but powerful truth. Don't play games with spiritual things. Amen. Don't play games with eternal matters. Amen. Don't act like it doesn't matter when it does matter. It's a dangerous thing to become of a mindset that this is all about you. It's a dangerous mindset to get in to think that life is all about your happiness. It's all about your joy or your desire or your entertainment. It's a dangerous thing when life becomes so focused on filling your wants and your wishes that you will ignore spiritual matters in order to satisfy that desire. It would have been easy for him. It would have been even justifiable. Forty days, my Lord, who's going to go that long? Anything he would have wanted to do, no one would have thought any the, the different about him. And yet he would not do that miracle to entertain himself, to satisfy his own desires and his own selfish wants. How dangerous it is for men and women today to play games with spiritual things. You say, Brother Hughes, how, how am I playing games? We play games when we come and go from the house of God and we have such a powerful move as we had this morning and it means nothing to us. We play games when we come here to the altar and we shed tears, but we walk out to do our deeds that are not of the Spirit. We play games when we, when we take the chance on life. Amen. How many today are playing games with spiritual matters? How many today are like those little boys that were found in a village minister came through town and he noticed the boys huddled in a crowd down on the ground and he was curious because it looked like something familiar. Those boys that were in another continent from where he was born were doing the same thing he had done when he was a boy. They were playing marbles. Being the curious man that he was, he slipped over to where they were. And he was not so much taken by the fact that they were playing marbles. What he was amazed at was what they were playing with. For he noticed as they flicked those beautiful little rounded objects, they were playing marbles with diamonds. Playing marbles with diamonds. I wonder how many people today are doing that with spiritual things taking for granted the touch of God on their life. You come and go, you feel it so often, it's always going to be there. And yet the truth is, it may not always be there. It may not. Samson can tell you about that. 
He played with it. He entertained himself with it. He used it for his own curiosity. He tied foxes' tails together, sent them out in the field to burn down the crops of the Philistines. He got a great laugh out of it. But somehow it never registered in Samson the touch of God that was on his life and what that anointing was for. And so all of his life he just used it to entertain himself. He used it to play games. He entertained that life of his with the power of God. Until one day the Bible said that he woke up. And he woke up not knowing that the Lord had departed from him, but thinking it was going to be like every other day. And he stretched his arms, but there was no power. He moved his hands, but there was no glory. Friend, listen to me this morning. I don't know why God gave me this message, but there are people sitting on these pews this morning that are playing games with spiritual things. And Jesus is my example this morning. And he taught me one of the most important lessons of life. Don't play games with spiritual matters. And don't play games with things that are of eternal consequence. Quit living this selfish, self-centered life. It's all about me. It's about what I want. It's about what I desire. It's about doing what I need and get your eyes open to a bigger picture. This is more than just about me, folks. There's something greater at stake than just my little world of happiness or joy. God said there's something more important for me to do. And I will not waste or prostitute my power on something as insignificant as bread for myself. So he refused to do what he was going to do much of in his ministry. He refused to work a miracle for his own need. Not only that, but there was a time when Jesus refused to answer a prayer. The story of the demoniac of the Gadarenes, you find it in Matthew chapter 5, is one of the most thrilling stories in all of Scripture. For there we find a man who was bound and tormented by demons, legions of demons, spirits that tormented his life, that tore him and brought him to a place of utter desolation. And there in the graveyard, tearing himself and running naked and out of his mind, the Lord comes visiting one day. And when Jesus came and stepped a foot on that shore, the Bible said that he ran and he fell and worshipped him. There in that moment of transformation, demons left that body. Legions of demons. And what is to be noted about the story is that Jesus answered the prayer of devils. The devil said, send us away into the swine. And Jesus said, go. And they were in the swine and into the ocean. And he sat there and said to those that were around, they said, we don't want you here anymore. The people of Gadarene said, we want you to depart from our coast. And Jesus was gone the very next morning. But the demoniac, the man who was cured, the man who was healed, the man who was clothed and in his right mind, he prayed one prayer. And that prayer was, Jesus, let me go with you. Let me follow you. 
Let me go where you go and I will serve you and I will do service to you. And Jesus refused to answer his prayer. Amen. Jesus said simply, no. Go home, go to your friends and tell them what God has done. There are prayers in life that God sometimes refuses to answer. Because in the unanswering of that prayer is our purpose found. There are some of us praying this morning for God to take something out of our life or away from us or out of our mind and God is not answering our prayer. It's still there and it's there for a reason. You may not understand why He doesn't answer your prayer And maybe you don't know why God does not sympathize with your need. But it could be that your purpose is found in the place that you are trying to escape right now. Maybe your purpose is found in the place you're trying to get away from. I'm not saying always, but there are times when we pray for God to move something in our life. When God has placed it there to move us. Amen. God has placed it there to move us. It has been my experience that there are times when I come to God with prayers that I feel are important and I feel are essential and yet God turns His head. It's not in harshness that He refused my prayer. It was not in meanness that he would not answer, but the interest of Jesus was far beyond answering my prayer. It was in fulfilling his purpose in my life. And sometimes our prayers are refused because our purpose is involved. Amen. Our purpose is involved. We pray for one thing and we get another. We pray for sunshine God sends rain. We pray for wealth and God sends poverty. We pray for friends and God makes us be alone. We pray for direction and we hear nothing from God. But in that time when we find no answers, we find something deeper and that is the presence of God. Others may seem to get what they want, but even our most passionate prayers are sometimes refused and we don't understand why. It is sometimes in the prayers that He refuses to answer that we find our crown and our service. We want to be out of certain situations, but we can't seem to escape them because our purpose is at stake. He said, Father, if it be possible, let this, let this cup pass from me. I look into this and I don't know that I want to drink this cup. I, I know that this is what I came for, but when I look into it and I realize what all it involves, I, I just wish there was another way. Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. It was the unanswering of that prayer that saved you and I. Amen. It was in his refusal to answer that prayer that you and I are saved today. It is because he drank that cup. 
I find that the things I am refused in life often lead to a better life for me. Amen. They do. I'm sure that Paul would have been the happiest man in Asia if the Lord had just taken that thorn away from his flesh. But the thorn was left. The thorn remained that the ministry might be sweeter. That the song might be sweeter. The thorn was left that the grace of God might grow greater and richer. The thorn he gave him, gave him new eyes for God's sufficiency. That when I am weak, then I am strong. We will never know until that day that light is shown on all of life and reveals the full glory of our life. The great life that we have lived. Whether our triumphs were because of our thorns or in spite of our thorns. Amen. There are people sitting on these pews right now that are praying about situations that you just wish would go away and God will not answer you. You know what you need to learn? You need to learn how to just live. Live with the thorn. There are times when Jesus just does not answer prayer, not because He is hardened, but because there is more at stake than the answer of my prayer. And so we look for purpose. There are times when Jesus doesn't explain. There are times when he simply acts and does not give explanation. If you look in Matthew 21, you'll find him kicking the traitors out of the temple, taking a cat of nine tails and running them out and turning their money tables over. And then after it was all settled, he came back in and sat down and did miracles and wonders. And the Pharisees came tripping back in. And they said, by what authority do you do this? We want you to show us your credentials. Explain your actions. Tell us where you get the power and the authority to do this. And he simply said, was John's preaching of God or not? And they knew if they answered in one way, they would refute the ministry of John. If they answered another, they would lie against the Scripture. And so they said, we cannot say. And Jesus said, then I'm not going to tell you by what authority I do these things. He is not always going to answer our prayers for explanation. He said, just follow me. It was Peter that he mentioned in the book of John after all that was settled and the crucifixion was over, he was visiting with his disciples. He pulls Peter aside and you know the story. They go through this conversation. Jesus said, do you love me, Peter? Oh, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Three times the Lord questioned him and three times Peter answered and when it was all said and done, there were other things that exchanged between Jesus and Peter and then in the midst of that, this is what is so crazy about human life. It's what's so crazy about us. Here God is dealing with Peter, talking to Peter, trying to get Peter straight, trying to get him on the straight in there, trying to get his life back on track. He's the one that cursed him. He denied him. He 
did everything he could but refused to be one of his disciples in a crucial moment. He's talking to him. He said, okay, this is what you need to do. Listen to me. I'm going to give you direction. And in the midst of all that, Peter looks around and he sees John standing over there. And, and in the middle of the Lord talking to him about what he's going to do and what he needs to do right now, Peter's response was, well, what's going to happen to that guy? And Jesus said, you know what, Peter? You don't worry about this guy. This guy's my problem, not yours. You follow me. There are times in life when we want to look around and say, well, God, what in the world is he doing here? What right does she have to be here? Who gave them the privilege of coming and, and they took my seat on top of that? Yeah. They got my favorite place. They made me get out of my, and they don't even come regularly. And here the Lord's trying to talk to us. He's trying to help us get life ordered and straight. And we're worrying about somebody else. He said, you know what? I'm not even going to take the time to answer that. I'm not going to explain to you what I'm doing. You just need to follow me. You need to get your eyes off of everybody else. You need to get your mind off of everybody else. You need to get your nose out of other people's business. Praise God. Yeah, you need to get your nose out of their business. You need to get your finger off that keyboard and quit worrying about what's on Facebook and get your eyes back on him and get your ears tuned back to what he's saying to you. He said to you, follow me. You follow me. Don't worry about them. You let me deal with them. You let me take care of them. He will always help us. He will always guide us. But he will not always explain his way. He simply says, follow me. You know what? I don't even know how all this is going to wash out. And I know more about most everybody around here than anybody in this church. And I look at all of us sometimes and I think, God, how is this going to work? God said, you don't worry about that. You just let me take care of it. That's my church. You follow me. You do what I called you to do. You exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. You love people. You be compassionate with people. And you let me take care of that other kind of business. You let me take care of their life. Amen. You know, some of us would do a whole lot better if we would take care of our own business and leave other people's business alone. Do you know the Lord never gave you grace to carry somebody else's offense? He will give you grace to cover your offense, but He'll never give you grace to bear somebody else's offense. I can't tell you how many times in pastoring a church I have seen people get crossways and when you start asking well what are you all upset about it's about somebody else's problem they start fighting somebody else's battle well i don't like what somebody else did to them well you know what you don't know the whole story first of all you don't know whether that was actually done or not but whether it was or not it's not any of your business 
Praise God. I know y'all came to church expecting me to preach like this. I can see it on your face. You're lucky. Some of you are looking shell-shocked right now like, what in the world has he been drinking? I tell you what I've been drinking. I've been drinking something from that holy book. And the book said there are some things that he just would not explain. He's not going to tell you why. He's not going to tell you why. He's not going to give you an explanation. He's just going to say, follow me. This is still about me and you. Amen. It's still about me and you. It's still personal. It's still, this is about me and you. It's not about me, you and them. Me, you and her. Me, you and he. It's not about all, it's not about all of, it's it's still about me and you. And that's all you need to worry about is me and you. I want you to say that with me. The only thing I need to worry about is me and him. Come on, say it. Some of you are choking over those words right now. Say it. All I need to worry about is me and him. Come on, say it again. All I need to worry about is me and him. Come on, clap your hands to the Lord right now. All I need to worry about is me and him. Amen. And I close. He not only refused to explain, he refused to answer prayer. He refused to work a miracle. Let me throw this one in. He refused. There's so many things I got to looking at this that started popping up in Scripture that I had. He refused to condemn a woman caught in the act of adultery. Now, pray tell, who gives any of us the right to get on Facebook or do any other kind of way of communicating and condemn anybody for what we don't know the whole story of. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. That wasn't even in my notes. He refused a drink. He refused a drink at the most crucial time in his life. On the cross, he had been beaten. Historians say that the body of Jesus at that time would have been so swollen and so disfigured that he would have been hard to recognize. crown of thorns on his head, 40 stripes on his back, blood pouring from every area of his body. The most cruel punishment in Roman times was a crucifixion because it was a crucifixion that caused the man to suffer the way it was designed, he would literally starve to death for air. He would asphyxiate. They would have to pull himself up to get a breath of air. And then the weight of their body would sag and it was just a long, slow process of dying. 
hanging there. All of the cursing, all of the rabble-rousing, all of the people that had said so many bad things. Somebody, somebody had a moment of compassion. Somebody saw him in that state and said, you know what? we got to help him. And so they mixed some myrrh with wine and they offered it to him. It would have helped. It was like taking a hydrocodone. It was like taking a shot of morphine. That wine and myrrh mixed together became a sedative that would have eased the pain. It would have it would have taken away some of the hurt. But in that moment of his purpose, hanging there between heaven and earth, he made the greatest refusal of all. He said, I will not let anything sedate me from my purpose. Folks, life is hard sometimes. It's painful sometimes. There are times that you feel like you're dying. Be careful that you don't look for some kind of sedative to ease life's pain. Be careful that you don't reach for a bottle or reach for a pill to try to calm the hurt. Because that hurt can't be calmed by a bottle and it can't be calmed by a pill. That hurt can only be fixed in the presence of the Lord. We are living in an hour when it has become so easy for us to drink our problems away or to drug our problems away or we find other ways to sedate ourselves rather than face the painful reality of what we're going through. And there's some things in life you just have to live through. There's some things in life you just have to buckle down and say, you know what? This is what I'm here for. Don't, don't, don't buy into the thinking that it's okay. You know what's amazing to me? It's not social drinking it's why people drink nowadays i've asked people why why do you do that why, why why do you and most all of them tell me the same thing because it knocks the edge off of life it knocks the edge off it it distresses me folks listen to me there's a better way to find relief than from a bottle or a pill. And I don't know why God sent me here this morning, but I'm talking to somebody here in this place today. You're going through a dying place in your life. Be careful what you reach for. Be careful what you try to numb life with. People numb it with relationships. They get involved with people. Trying to numb life, but they never deal with life. 
No wine mingled with myrrh. He said, I, I'm not going to end my life like this. This is what I came for. I'm going to live through it. I'm going to live beyond it. I wonder if there's anybody here this morning that's trying to sedate a problem. Sedate a pain. And you can do it without drink or alcohol. You can do it by illicit relationships. You can do it by a myriad of other things. Listen to me. There's a better way. There's a better way. If you'll just hang in there, there's an answer coming. Amen. Let's stand together.